Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow and enjoy the episode. And I'm hopeful that uh, as we unpack um, some of those metaphors that God uses, we'll get a clearer sense of what God is saying. Because the first two-thirds of the book of Ephesians that we're working through as we look at church complete, there's, there's no imperative, there's no directives or things for us to do. There are simply truths for us to believe. That which we need to know and understand, but really know and get down. And, and then there's some imperatives and directives as to what we're to do with those realities in the latter part. So I'm hopeful that as I hopefully share a few metaphors and literally pictures, we'll get a clearer sense of, uh, of what it is that Jesus says and the Father says about his church. If you guys were here last week, um, Gordon started by speaking about the fact that the church, the saints of God, are his workmanship or his masterpiece. We're all individual brushstrokes but making a beautiful picture. And think of your favorite artist. Carrie showed me a picture of some Van Gogh that, that sold for squillions, and I'm like, I wouldn't pay that much for that. But many people think it was a masterpiece. Whatever, when you think of masterpiece, all individual brushstrokes that make up this masterpiece of God. And this week, as I kind of pondered and thought, I don't think we, or myself included, spend much time thinking about the universal church, the, the Catholic church, small C Catholic church that we are part of. Remember, it was four years ago, if you've been part of the village for a little while, that we did a series through the Apostles' Creed. And the third section of the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. That, that, that one church in through all of time, this speaks to that um, as we talk about two groups becoming one and one new people. But and I'm hopeful that it will also land with us today. Not just big picture church eternal out there or though or other saints, but that it lands with us today. Because we we don't have the same issue that the first original readers of this book had. The issue of Jew and Gentile or Jew and non-Jew is not a big thing that probably consumes much of our time. Um, yeah, I'm guessing based on the conversations I've had with people, it's not something that consumes our. But it was a really big issue um, in the first century. In, in the church. But can I do say, I can say that there is, though they're not the same issue and to the same degree, there is a division within the body of Christ or divisions within the body of Christ that we don't yet see the not yet, the full oneness of Christ. Because I don't know if in your Bible, but in all the Bibles that I own, it has a, a, a section heading on this part of the scriptures. Wasn't there originally when Paul penned it, we know the letter but it says oneness in Christ or one in Christ. I don't yet see when I look at the church across the earth, when I look at the church across Hamilton, when I look across the village church, I don't yet see the oneness yet that Jesus speaks about. And I'm hopeful that the reality of what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, what Jesus is going to do, settles deeper into our hearts and minds and we live out of that place when we understand 
just the power of what he's done in making a new people. All the pictures that God paints here and uses in Ephesians, he's talking about vivid pictures of unity with diversity. Oftentimes, I think when we think oneness, we think, we, we, we think sameness. As soon as we say the word oneness, we think, oh, sameness. No, no, no. When Jesus is talking about oneness, he's talking about oneness, a unity, a symphony, a harmony, a connectedness that, is, that encompasses diversity. That, that actually amplifies, in some ways, the diversity, but by knitting it together. The church, as in, in, the, in the last few verses of, uh, of this section through, through 19 through 22, it talks about the church as a city-state, the fact that we're citizens. It talks about the, fa- the church, the saints, as a household, a family unit, and as a temple, a dwelling place for God. We want to look at and live in the reality of oneness despite our differences. The section starts with, and Michael and Glenda did, did a great job of painting this picture of this division. Before Christ, all those that were not descended from Abraham were separated, were alienated from the citizenship, alienated from the people that God had chose to work through. Strangers to the covenants of promise. No longer, no hope and without God in the world, it says. I think, I don't know if you've ever felt any of those things in the reality of life. We've, we've had the privilege of walking alongside a number of households that are refugees to, and that have been resettled here in New Zealand. This immediately drew this picture of refugees that no hope, no sense of identity, no sense of security, totally outside of the place you find yourself in. That was the reality for every one of us before Christ. And when I, and now that wasn't true of Israel. So when we say Israel, especially today, I think we can get a little bit confused. Because we start to conflate. As soon as we say Israel, we think nation state. We think block of land alongside the Mediterranean. When Jesus says Israel, he says God's chosen people, people of the promise of God, those that believed God. The real Israel of God are the peoples whose hearts were circumcised by God, not just the flesh. Verse 11 says here, like, hold on, there's a division here between those that are are called the uncircumcised by those that are circumcised by hands of men. Well, not... That's, that's not a division as such. It's, it's those that are actually circumcised by God, heart circumcised, lives changed. That's how Paul could say in Romans 9 that no, not all Israel is Israel. Not all children of Abraham are children of Abraham but by the flesh, but it actually by the spirit, those that are children of the promise. So when I use the term Israel through the rest of this morning, I'm talking about God's chosen people that are set apart by him, the work of his spirit in his heart, pre-Christ, because God was kind. And if you want to like, well, who are those? Well, go to Hebrews 11, and you'll start to get a picture of who those are, whose hearts were circumcised by the spirit of God. And then in Christ, all of us that have come to know him. So the, the state of a refugee was ours before Christ. But, and 
I'm a big advocate. If you're not in the habit of underlining your Bible, today's a good day to start a new habit. Underline in your Bible. But, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus. That was our state, but now in Christ Jesus. You who are far off have been brought near. How have we been brought near? By the blood of Christ. He himself, not just preached peace, not just brought peace, he himself is our peace. And he's made us both one. Broken by breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Again, a great picture when they move this out of the way, this wall. What was this wall? The law. The law was the wall, this, this thing that separated these two people groups. The Israel the people of God, and non-Israel. In Israel that had the law, it produced pride and arrogance. In those that didn't have the law, that were were strangers to the promise, it produced resentment because the law kept them at a distance from God. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't approach God. You had no God in the world. It's the word that we, that without God is the word we have today is atheist. Without God. They couldn't approach God's presence. There was a barrier in the temple. You had the court of the Gentiles where Jesus went in and flipped over the tables because they'd become a, become a place of money changing and the Gentiles could not come in. But you, you could not pass the barrier. There were signs on threat of death to cross the barrier to approach God. This dividing wall of hostility between the two peoples. And because the law was all about keeping covenant... Receiving the covenant, how to con- receive the covenant promises and avoid covenant curses. And the Old Testament records all the cycles of unfaithfulness of the people of God to the covenant. They broke their side of the covenant regularly. And all the wonder and kindness and mercy of God that he faithfully kept the covenant and forgave them and regularly brought them back from exile, restored their fortunes cared for them when they cried out to him and records the promise that one day, one day, one day there was going to be a true Israelite, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the one who could actually keep their side of the covenant. One day it was going to, he was going to come and God in his great grace and power in the person of Christ comes and keeps both sides of the covenant. He kept our side of the covenant, which we couldn't. And in doing so, he fulfilled the law. He, he rendered it and its commandments inoperative, abolished, it says here. Didn't do away with it, but he fulfilled it because it was inoperative, because he had actually fulfilled our side of the covenant. Amazing. And in doing so, he himself has made us both one. Can I have that, uh, that next picture up, please? Keep going. Next one. Next one. Maybe. Next one. There we go. Uh, no, no. One back. Go, go back. Go back. Good job, Jesse. Go back one minute if you can. I want to read this verse 12 to 16 again. For he himself, sorry, from 14 to 16. He himself is our peace. He has made us both one. Again, if you're in the habit, start a new habit, underline both one. 
broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility one, 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 all the way through. Both into one, two into one. A new human race. A new human race Christ has created. The first Adam was of the dust and of the flesh, and those that are of him are as, um, as he is. Jesus, the last Adam, is of spirit and of heaven, and as those that are in him, so are they. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Creating in himself, in Christ, a new man out of the two. Can we have that next picture, please? And this picture came to mind as soon as I was reading this. You get one new river out of two. One new river out of two. The headwaters is Christ. The the source of this new river is Christ. Not not one river just joining another river and becoming becoming a bigger river in and of itself. No, no, no. But a new river, a new humanity, a new people. And the thing that the single greatest identifier of it is the fact that how does it happen? Because we're in Christ. And what I love is God in his kindness this week in my regular reading, I'm, I'm prepping this sermon, I'm thinking about these sorts of things, and then I'm reading Psalm 122. <clears throat> and this just jumps off the page and hits me. Psalm 122 verse 18 says, Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. God foretold. The most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament, Psalm 22, verse 31. We often skip it to get to our favorite Psalm 23. But Psalm 22, verse 31 says, They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. A people yet created, God in his great grace and his foreknowledge said, One day, this dividing line is going to be gone. And no matter... won't matter what nationality you are. won't matter your ethnic heritage. won't matter if you're born in Scotland or born in Canada or born in South Africa or born in New Zealand. It won't matter because what will matter is whether or not you're in Christ. And how do we come to, to be in Christ? Through faith. None of us can boast. The goodness and kindness of God. Now, he used in his great grace and in his foreknowledge, he chose a people. And always foreknew it, always foreknew it, that through that one people, they were going to be a blessing to the nations, to the peoples of the earth. That was God's foreknowledge. And then he did it in Christ. Oh, it's so good. Now, once those two rivers become one, can you tell the difference between? Can you separate them out again? Oh, no, no, you, you were of this river and you were of that river. No, one river, the dividing line completely killed. I love God's kindness. What did God do? He killed the hostility. I love that metaphor. I love that picture. He killed the hostility. It's not coming back. That hostility is dead. It's gone. We sometimes try to resurrect it. 
We are all one in Christ. It's how God can say in, in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. Those divisions don't exist anymore. Those identifiers don't exist anymore. There's no male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Hold on, we just said before we were strangers to these promises. No, 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 now in Christ, that's the primary identifier. That's the thing that, I, that, that marks me. And now I'm heirs of that promise. God in his kindness has made a new people. One new man out of the two. One new river out of the two. The larger river, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, all the nations of the earth, have joined together with this smaller river, the Jews, one ethnic group that God has chosen to become the Israel of God, his people. God's chosen people has expanded to include all the peoples from all the nations of the earth that have received Christ. We've all become children of the promise. Thanks be to Christ. This new people in Christ is the fulfillment of all his promises. That means every other identity marker is subservient to this. The fact that we are in Christ. Our ethnicity, our language, our social and economic status, our education, our gender, our age, our ability, all those things because we've become part of this one river in Christ. See, the cross of Christ is God's answer to racial discrimination. The cross of Christ is God's answer to segregation. The cross of Jesus Christ is God's answer to anti-Semitism. The cross of Jesus Christ is God's answer to every form of bigotry between people. Thanks be to Christ. So I said there's realities for us to live in as the village church today. It lands with us because this reality deals to our prejudices. Either our pride over what we have or think we have or our resentment because we don't think we have what others do. And can I say even just our dislikes. This reality that we are in Christ shifts how we think about all people groups, all individuals, all cultures, because to be in Christ is the highest form. It's the primary identity, and it's all by God's grace. So this week, though the scriptures don't give us a clear indicative, can I encourage you to go home this week and consider even if you sit now, consider, what are my prejudices? And before you say, I don't have any, like, you lie to your friends, I'll lie to my friends, but let's not lie to each other. We all have prejudices. And if we don't, if we say we don't, 
we're not being honest. There, there, there are, we, because, but, but, because we all tend towards homogeny. We all like people that are like me, like us. Like, I think the world would be a much better place if everybody just thought the way I thought, did the way things that I want. Like, my household would work a lot better if everyone just did things the way I think should happen. But I started by saying it's not oneness by getting rid of the differences. It's oneness by celebrating and, and welcoming and indeed allowing God to, to mold those differences together. So this week, your homework is to say, Lord, what, what are my prejudices? Bring them before Christ. Confess them. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then... Trust the spirit of God. I love how you say, praying for a Sikh gentleman walking along the road. Like, like the northern suburbs of Hamilton that many of us live and work and all the rest are one-third, one-third born, one born in Asia. Most of that, China and India. Praise God, the Chinese community are responding to the gospel. But two people come to faith through Mandarin Alpha. Others are still on the journey towards Jesus. But the Indian community, the Sikh community, the Punjab from the from the state of Punjab in northwest India is a very resistant group to the gospel. Keep praying. I, I have I, I have faith that we'll see people coming and worshiping with us wearing turbans. Check check our hearts, is that gonna is that gonna upset some of us? Lord, help us. Thank you that you've made us in Christ by your grace. Three pictures that God uses and kind of increasing degrees of interconnectedness and oneness and unity. Um, This this picture of city-state, can we have that uh, that picture, just that big group of people, Jesse? No, go back one. Thanks, mate. So this picture of, says, verse 19 says, we were no longer strangers and aliens but fellow citizens with the saints. So this picture of, of a city-state where we're citizens, where we go from being a refugee to actually belonging. Again, uh, the privilege of walking with a few families that have, that have emigrated here as refugees, as former refugees and been placed here in New Zealand. The, the, the joy and excitement when they get their passport. When they get a sense of identity, like we, we belong, we're, we're here, we're in. We, they can't make us leave. We, we're part of them. Now, the reality is they might look different and speak different and eat different. Oh, the food is wonderful. But there's a sense of identity. That passport becomes one of the greatest prized possessions. Why? Because there's a sense of belonging and connectedness with their new adopted nation. That's true of us. Once we were far off, but now we have a common identity. Equal rights with all the saints through all time. Equal footing with all of God's people. Not a rung above and not a rung below, but on equal footing with God's people through all of history. But it's possible to be citizens in the same city, even a heavenly city, as Philippians 3 says, our citizenship is in heaven, but it's possible to be citizens in the same city and not have much to do with one another. You can kind of go be a citizen and go, okay, we're, we all carry Kiwi passports, but, well, we don't have a lot to do with one another. 
So God ramps it up and goes, well, actually, okay, now you're not only citizens, but you're members of the same household. Verse 19, that second half says, members of the household of God. Not only we are now have a new passport and new citizenship, but we actually have a new family, a new identity with God as our father, with Jesus as our older brother, as other believers in Christ, as our brothers and sisters, much warmer and intimate than just the political statement of, of citizens. We're fellow heirs with Christ, it says in Romans chapter 8. We were once far off, had nothing and no promises, no hope. But now we are indeed, by the blood of Christ, brought near. So near as to have that same relationship as Jesus has with the Father. Because we are in him. With all the rights, all the privileges, all the responsibilities. And what I love is no preferences, no partiality, no restrictions. In a household, everybody has the same rights and privileges. Megs, um, that's here with us today, Megs is boarding as part of our household for this last year. And hopefully she's going to stay for another few years. But she has all the same rights as the rest of the household. She has fridge rights the same way everybody else has fridge rights. She doesn't say, oh, can, can I just get some milk out of the fridge for my breakfast? No, she's part of the household. She can go to the fridge and get whatever she wants. If she happens to find the chocolate in the vegetable drawer, but none of, uh, nobody else in our household looks in the vegetable drawer, she's allowed to eat that chocolate. Just the way, same way any of the other members of the household are able to eat that chocolate. There's no restrictions. All the same way. She can even be picked on and used as a sermon illustration now as part of our household. Talk about equality. In the household, we're all treated the same by God. And, there's a, and again, I love how this God just increases this greater level of interdependence. Friends you choose, but brothers and sisters are chosen for you. You ever think, oh, you ever say to your folks, or if you've got younger kids, like, oh, I want, I want a little sister, I want a little brother. Well, guess what? You get the brother or sister that God chooses, you don't get to choose them. But you are all in the same family, and God says there's a oneness, an interconnectedness, a, as Dan was saying, this, this, this relationship and relation and and rely, necessity to rely on one another that exists in a family unit. God has brought us into his household by adopting us through Christ. But then he ratchets up the next level and increases this level of interdependence, not just citizens, not just family members in a household, but a temple, uh, a building. The stones of a building are actually interconnected and built in to one another. I remember a, a, a friend that leads a church. Um, they did for a season when a new family joined the church. There was a membership ceremony and the rest. And they literally added a brick and mortared it into the wall. It became a little bit difficult when like, you know, 10 years later, God called them to go to another place and plant a church. It's like, well, hold on. Do I get to chisel my brick out of the wall? The metaphor broke down a little bit. But the reality is this picture of we are being built in to something and not not just God's not building arches and pillars and curtains and altars in this new temple. His source material is very different. He's using people, living stones, it says in 1 Peter, from every tribe, every nation, every language. Different stones, 
different shapes. And again, the picture that I got as I was prepping this week was a picture of a stained glass window. And I don't know if what your view is on stained glass, but you can't help but look at something that's like a piece of stained glass and see a beauty in that. Can we go to that last picture, please, uh, Jesse? And there's something about the unity and the symmetry and the harmony, but because of the diversity of the individual pieces of glass that speak to this oneness in Christ. This, cause, and uh, fortunately, I have a friend um, at the village that, uh, that does stained glass. That's helpful. And so picture yourself as a small piece of glass, kind of funny shaped. If you look around the church of Jesus Christ, there's some funny shaped people. And I don't mean that physically, but we're all different, aren't we? You ever bump up against? Now, what's quite amazing is these are quite sharp. Apparently, if you're working with stained glass, you should have some, ha- some Band-Aids quite close. Well, if you're working with people, you should have some Band-Aids quite close as well, because sometimes we cut one another. Yeah? But dangerous they are in and of by themselves. And they don't look the same. But God... Christ Jesus, the living stone, the cornerstone, is fitting them together just as he wants. He uses the words build, join, grow, and then they fit together perfectly and create a beauty that didn't exist before when they were independent. Amazingly, they're also not as dangerous to one another either because they're protected by Christ. God is in, his, in the process of building us together. What's that? And they're far, far more beautiful. Far more beautiful. If you actually could, there you go, there you go. Far more beautiful together than they are independently. Far more beautiful. But it's God that does the fitting together. God that does the fitting together. Taking two disparate pieces and fitting them together. We are those pieces of glass. I don't know how Peter puts it. We are those different stones. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to end there. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. And five, and then jump over to chapter to verse nine. So, one Peter chapter two, verse four says, "As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." Verse 9 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles in the world. See how we were soldiers and exiles from God, but now we're soldiers and exiles in the world to abstain from the passion of the flesh in which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may speak against you, even as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. God has made us his people. God, by his spirit, through Christ, is building, joining, growing us together into a temple for the dwelling of God. God dwells in the us as his temple. Ask Dan to come and lead us in singing the doxology. Because again, one of the things that helps us to connect with the reality of how big the church is, how big and uh, glorious it is over the centuries, is to sing things that the, the Christians have been singing for three or four hundred years. So um, we don't need the words up because there's only 25 words and they're words that um, we'll know. And can I just, I had a wonderful picture and an experience of this. We were in North Vietnam and went to a small, and went to a church in a very small village and it was amongst the Hmong people of, the, of Northern Vietnam, Cambodia, Lao. And didn't understand a word for the whole hour and a half service until they got up and everyone stood at the very end and started singing the doxology. And here were two disparate people, the tribal people of northern Vietnam and this Canadian Aussie Kiwi singing. They're singing in Hmong and I'm singing in English, but I'm like, I know this one. And we could sing to the same God the truth of who he is and what he's done. So can I encourage you to please stand? We're going to sing together. And I'll hand over to Angus. <laughs>